Yeah, I, no, it would be. I mean, because it's, it's an interesting directory from um, sort of like street movement, direct democracy style thing, and how that then merged into a political party, and mm. how that party has now become a party of government. Yeah. A minority, a junior partner in a coalition, but it would be interesting to see what a significant. Yeah, it would be interesting to see what Miller Band would have said about that too. I suppose. <laughs> um, welcome to the premium Miller Band. Yeah, welcome to the yeah where we only discuss Ralph Miller Band. I was thinking how funny it would be when I was editing the last episode. So like this is like a show like partially to see like what socialism is and like how to be a socialist and stuff. I was thinking how funny it would be if in like ten like 15 episodes if we just convince ourselves like fascism isn't the way to go <laughs> <laughs> we're like oh actually socialism doesn't work at all yeah, right? yeah. We're actually I mean, gonna be making... I mean if we achieve that in 15 episodes <laughs> yeah yeah we'll be making if we, if we make 15, to if we make 15 episodes I'll be incredibly <laughs> pleased <laughs> yeah regardless yeah. and then we just stop the podcast <laughs> yeah. um all right. That's not what's going to happen. That isn't what's going to happen. <laughs> that is definitely not what's going to happen. Um, but you never know. It would be kind of it would be kind of funny, honestly. I um, mean, we wouldn't be the first people to become disillusioned with. <laughs> that's true. It's true. Extremely that's disillusioned. It. It. Yeah. it doesn't usually swing that far that way. Yeah. Yeah. I hope not. I don't think I've ever known anyone who's gone from the like far left to the far right. I know oh. people who've gotten been like opposite of that, but I've never known anyone who's like. You mean in person or? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I feel like sure there may have been like academics or something who are like, sure, you know, yeah, I'm yeah, thinking yeah. perhaps like an Ezra Pound style character or something like that. But I don't think I've ever known like a guy who's like, you know what, none of this works. Um, welcome back. We're going. Here we are. Um, today's episode uh, a little bit different from our usual <laughs> whatever that is yeah. <laughs> i mean um, i think this is going to become the norm <laughs> yeah 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 i think so today what we're doing is we got uh issue the summer 2020 issue of tribune in the box in the old mailbox um and they have a section called a decade on the left and they have an article about corbin they have an article about sanders they have an article about Syriza podemos um one about our boy avo morales uh, oh i was very excited i was very heartened yeah um because I thought that was just a lost cause. And I'd given up yeah. paying any attention to Bolivia because I was just like, this is too sad. It's just too sad. Yeah. I mean, that's not really the course of action to take, is it? Yeah, but, yeah. Um, but, but yeah, yeah this week's news, election. good news. They had an election. Uh, yeah, and the breaking news had an election. And it went well. And it went well. It went well. So far, it's, so far, it's, it's done going well swimmingly. In, until the next coup. Until the next coup, yeah. Um, Welcome we'll to Latin America. Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah. Oh, God, so sad. Um, and then, so anyway, they've got that, they've got a decade on the left, and then they have a thing called the coming crisis, which is really depressing. But we're going to focus on specifically two articles in here today. Um, one is called, We Didn't Go Far Enough, We Didn't Go Fast Enough, and it's an interview with Jeremy Corbyn, who's being interviewed by Ronan Burtonshaw. And then we're going to be talking about that a little bit, and then we're going to be talking about the next article, which is The Rise and Fall of Bernie Sanders, um, which is an interview, not with Bernie, but it's with um, Brianna Joy Gray, who is his uh, national press secretary. And she was interviewed by Connor Kilpatrick. Um, so we're going to be talking a little bit about those. We're going to be kind of comparing and contrasting the two movements. Um, what did we learn from this decade on the left? Um, yeah, and it, it should be good. I think it's, it's kind of funny, isn't it, Dan, that the um, Corbin article, because we'll talk about that one first, um, starts off uh, with a reference to our, <laughs> or to our best friend, Miliband, but yeah. Ralph Miliband. And it says, <laughs> the question is, your old friend Ralph Miliband, uh, meaning Jeremy Corbyn's old friend, argued that turning the Labour Party into a tool for achieving socialism was a hopeless task. 
has the last five years proven or disproven that thesis? And what? I mean, Corbin kind of goes on to kind of just be like, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> that, maybe yeah, not. that's his opening. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know whether it says critical the responses we might like to we might read into it kind of thing yeah um yeah he's just being diplomatic i think yeah <laughs> i did get a sense that he was kind of being slightly less diplomatic than he would be if he was still kind of like in the game you know what i mean like obviously he's still an mp sure but it's yeah, like yeah. he's kind of bad i'd like to... to really see him step out of the game and like yeah. i don't know throw some fireballs and be really scathing and but i don't think that's what's going to happen i mean yeah. that's that's his nature and also um yeah, he still has a reputation to maintain, and it's important that he maintains that reputation, I think, yeah. even for the left. Yeah, I do get the um, feeling, though, he's going back to kind of his, like, pre... when he was super, super important, and he was just, like, a backbench MP, and he could just vote however he wanted. Sure, yeah, I mean, you know? uh, yeah, 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 yeah. He, he is going to now lead a small faction of left-wing MPs yeah. in Rebellions of Principle, um, as he ever has, I suppose. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. I was just interested in the article, the way he sort of like evades some questions and yeah. he still does a kind of politician's answer of just talking about what he wants to talk about, which actually he was never, I don't know how good he was ever at actually when he was actually Labour leader. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, it's funny. It's funny because uh, Dan and I did some digging, did a little bit of digging because that first uh, question where Ronan Burtonshaw is just like, okay, well, Ralph Miliband says that the Labour Party would never work for achieving socialism. Um, we did a little bit of digging, as I say, and we found a essay by Michael Newman, who writes for Monthly Review, I believe, just an academic dude. Um, and it's all about uh, Miliband's parliamentary socialism, um, which we didn't read. We no, read no, this no, no, review no. of uh, that book. I mean, it's yeah, it's, it's a, we read a chapter from a, it's a book about <laughs> parliamentary socialism. Yes, and the chapter was about uh, Miliband's view of the Labour Party. Yeah. Um, and how useful a tool he thought it was to achieving. Written in the 60s, I believe. Yes, in the early 60s. And I think a lot of that chapter was put in that book in context, right? It was written yeah. at a very, very specific point. Miliband's interactions with the Labour Party started in the 50s. Quite curious, never never had any truck with like the Communist Party or official communism kind of thing. I think that, that, that chapter suggested because he was Jewish and because he saw like anti-Semitism in Eastern Europe. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, and it, yeah, and it, he kind of puts his life in context too, just yeah. in terms of like growing up. Yeah, and... yeah, coming coming to Britain as a very young refugee, joining or uh, beginning to associate with Jewish socialists, declaring himself a Marxist very early, and then sort of like spend a life grappling with what that would mean and quite how you would achieve that, particularly if you're not willing to throw your full-hearted to, or support behind the Soviet Union or the official Communist parties of. Britain, France, Italy. Yeah, yeah. And what one, one, uh, we will get back to Corbyn, but I think this is kind of important because I think Miliband definitely had a pretty big influence on Corbyn. But one thing that I think influenced um, Miliband's views of parliamentary uh, politics, they bought up in that essay um, Lloyd George potentially going to war with the Soviets in the 20s or in the 30s. Because he basically says that parliamentary politics, people will always put national interest over class interest. And he said that that was a really significant time because everybody just went, there's no way we're going to war with the Soviets. Yeah, we don't want that it, at all. Yeah, I mean, it, it depends what motivated that, right? I don't yeah. know anything about that case, but he was mm. making the case that that's basically the only time that the Labour Party has um, has done exactly what you said, like mm. uh, put class interest above. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so... National interest and also, I mean, not going to war, I suppose, is a national interest in some respects. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I suppose it's also a class interest, um, mm-hmm. but he does frame it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, his his point is that the point of the left has to be, Miliband says this, um, to push for, push the leadership of the party for more radical policies, but also press for more militant attitudes 
towards labor's enemies. But then he kind of also goes on to kind of outline the general, you know, kind of like uh, idea of like parliamentary, the parliamentary route to achieving socialism as whenever class interest does rear its head, the leadership is going to be paralyzed, right? Because it's not going to know what to do. It's not going to know how to deal with that because it just becomes too bureaucratic and too interested in reforms and not overthrowing the system that it's a part of. Right. Um, so that's kind of like the first question that Corbyn gets uh, thrown at him. And he, he basically he starts off by just saying, I don't think it's been conclusive either way. And then he kind of goes on to elaborate his position a bit. And it seems like he disagrees. Right. Which I think you would expect from the guy running the Labour Party. Right. Yeah, I think that's fair. <laughs> yeah. <position> to <laughs> yeah. Understandable. And then this is the beginning of one of the main themes of the article, uh, the interview with Corbyn, which is him talking about the PLP. Right. And his uh, issues with the PLP. And so for some for some of our listeners, I had to actually ask Dan about this, how the Labour Party actually works. What is the parliamentary Labour Party? Or why, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why is the distinction made between yeah. them and well, exactly. Do you the think rest you, of the Labour Party? Yeah. Could you explain kind of what you explained to me just about like the three kind of like headed? Uh, yeah, I, th- I mean, I think um, my only answer to that um other than that they they've sort of taken on a sort of agency of their own kind of thing particularly in these past five years they've mm. been so disruptive uh, in so many different ways um but i think if they if they exist exist and existed as an official category i think that probably has its roots in changes that were made to the process to elect the leader of the labor party sure i think that happened in the 80s we should have flashed it research this but anyway i'm just going to speculate <laughs> just google why it. not i mean it's just, yeah i mean you, you, the listener the, I mean. the listener can corroborate <laughs> i mean yeah like what's the what's the purpose of this like if you want if you want to do your own research do your own research. yeah look it up if not <laughs> <laughs> but i just well, mean, no, well, no 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 but um i just mean like how does the labor party work in terms of what like as an american looking at the rough equivalent of the democratic party you would never make a distinction between the parliamentary the politics and sure. everybody else. Yeah, so yeah, you yeah. explain to me how so, there's I mean, like the PLP, the people and the trade. Yeah, unions. so it used to be the case that um, up until um, 2010, the system for electing the leader to the Labour Party was a electoral college system. And so a, 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 a third of the votes were accounted for by the members of the Labour Party and a third of the votes were accounted for by the members of all the affiliated trade unions. And a third of the votes came from the MPs. So they, they I think uh, until that system was put in place, the MPs had all of the power and they were just in the position to select, select the next leader. Um, so some small amount of democracy there. Um, and and then so that, that system was changed, obviously, when Ed Miliband took over and the the, the position was taken that all the, the assumption was made that he really only won because he won the support of the trade unions. And so the decision was taken, if we can dis- disempower them as a big block and make it one member, one vote for all members of the Labour Party, then obviously you will get centrist Blairites elected all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. History didn't bear out that that uh, that, yeah. that conclusion, expectation. But then also the the, the Parliamentary Labour Party has this, is in the position of, um, plays a specific role in selecting the la- leader of the Labour Party in that um, to, to go on a ballot to all members of the Labour Party the the any prospective candidate for leadership 
has to be nominated by members of the Labour Party and get gotcha. a certain nomination. When in Jeremy Corbyn, when he was elected, I think it may have been twenty percent. One of the changes, they, the small changes, which he does reference in this article, actually, one of the small changes they did manage to get him to place when it came to their efforts to reform and change the Labour Party was to reduce that threshold. I think to ten percent, okay, um, hmm. or at least down in such a way that they think or they thought that it would secure a left wing MP that would would assume that what a left wing MP would always get onto a ballot for yeah. the Labour leader. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, a sure. very small, minute change in the grand scheme of all of the problems with um, yeah. the Labour Party and how it operates. And certainly even like what he was trying to do, bigger picture. Because, yeah, so, to, so to, get back, to get back to the article and like why Corbyn was talking about that is because he basically seems like he blames the PLP for quite a bit that didn't happen or that happened in yeah. his, in his yeah, tenure. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll read a quote. He says, I think this kind of outlines one of his big ideas that he tried to do, which was kind of more community organizing within the Labour Party. So he said, I also wanted the party to be a much more democratic and responsible organization with a community presence all over the country. The Labour Party cannot win in the long run if all it does is play a media game and pursue a Westminster strategy. It has to be a real presence in the community in order to mobilize people and convince them that things can change and improve. The greatest resistance that I had within the party bureaucracy and structures was to the establishment of community organizing. They wanted to continue the old way, which I think was a big mistake. As everyone knows, I had massive opposition from within the PLP, the Parliamentary Labour Party, from the outset. The first year was taken up completely with dealing with pressure from within the PLP, and then when you had the second leadership campaign in 2016, where we won an even bigger majority. And then he just kind of goes on. The relationship of the PLP to the party as a whole has been subject to debate for as long as I can remember, going back to the campaign for Labour Party democracy in the 70s. So yeah, he kind of outlined that like what it seemed like going into it, what he really wanted to do to try and use the Labour Party to achieve socialism was to make it much more of a presence in communities and make it much more than just what it is now, which is exactly what the Democratic Party is, which is just a political party, Mm -hmm. basically, right? Mm -hmm. And it's one where if you don't watch, like, you know, Westminster on TV or, like, uh, you don't watch, um, what's the equivalent? In America, it's like uh, C-SPAN. C-SPAN, of course. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I've watched C-SPAN in the past. C-SPAN's kind of fun. It must must, uh, broadcast on the TV here. Oh god, that's sad. That's sad. Yeah, gotta be real. Well, it's even worse that I would have watched (laughs) it. I don't know. Um, Desperate to watch everything. But I don't. To me, I'd like to hear your thoughts on that because I think that's uh, like a fantastic way of achieving things. And it's interesting because like the community organizing aspect in America, you don't get that at all with the Democratic Party. And the only place you really see that is in what like trade union struggles there have been, and recently there haven't really been like massive massive ones with like real class consciousness um with a few with a few exceptions i mean this kind of made me think of cesar chavez's organizing where his whole thing was to kind of get the politics out even to like get the word union out and to just make it a big community and one of the reasons that his union was able to become so successful and get so much done so much changed at least for a little while was because you know they had like parties and they would like invite community members to really talk about what was going on and it was more of like an individual uh person-to-person kind of politicking as opposed to like big oratory speeches and whatnot and it seems like that is like that was corbin's idea um was a fantastic one i don't know yeah and i think credit where credit's due ed Miliband before corbin was also very keen on the idea of community organizers and was similarly like knocked back by um other agents, agencies and agents within the, the Labour Party. I think it's just just as an aside. Um, it's tra- it's strange to hear him say <laughs> you can't, you don't want to get bogged down in Westminster politics kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, and I mean, if you were ex- if you were to expand the criticism of the Labour Party 
and the fact that they won the last election a little bit beyond uh, lost the last election. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, a, li- a little beyond simply saying that it was because of Brexit. Like oh. one of the things that was lost between twenty seventeen and twenty nineteen, I think, was they went from seeming like insurgents to what everybody knew about them was how they were operating as regards the ongoing sort of like parliamentary squabbling over what to do about Brexit kind of thing. Um, maybe it was an inevitable thing that was going to happen. You can't, you, I mean, if you, I mean, it's a question, isn't it, right? Like if you're going to um, try and run even the official opposition to the, to the Her Majesty's government, um, <laughs> you are going to have to operate within Parliament I mean, I mean, Jeremy Corbyn's always done that, right? Where he's an MP, he's been an MP since 1983, mm. he knows. Mm. Um, but yeah, that he makes a point of that. and But that's really what happened, right? Yeah. Like, the Labour Party sort of got bogged down in that. And he, presumably, I would imagine, as responsible as anyone else. Which I mean, he does make the yeah. he does he does quite often make the case in this article. He makes the case several times that like he really wanted to be outside of he wanted to be in his constituency and he wanted to be doing constituency work and he wanted to be and he was meeting with uh, trade unions and sort of other organisations and that kind of thing whether that actually had any effect, mm. whether anybody actually saw that beyond those people. Um, well, to a certain really... extent, I mean, like, if he really wanted to adopt that strategy of community organizing, it can't really just be him. You know what I mean? Sure, like, it yeah, can't yeah, be, like, yeah, Jeremy yeah. Corbyn's yeah, yeah, Labour yeah. Party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, as an aside, and this basically means nothing to what we're talking about, but um, uh, during the last election, I was working in a pub, and, uh, I like, this uh, gang of probably about, like, 25 to, like, 30-year-old uh, youths came in and they're all pretty well dressed pretty <laughs> spiffy <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm very, very they were 80 year old youths <laughs> and they were all like very well dressed. just a state of mind yeah exactly yeah. well you know these guys man and they came in and they all had like you know spiffy little haircuts and stuff and they were very drunk and uh, they sat in front of the bar so i could hear them talking and one of them was like oh get a load of get a load of like i don't know the guy's friend was like toby or he's like get a load of toby i think he's a corbinite and he's like i'm not a corbinite man i'm not a corbinite and he's like if you would consider voting for someone as racist as jeremy corbin i was just like oh my god i'm taking my break i just i can't listen to this right now um well, i commend your forbearance it was, tough. It was <laughs> tough at least i was getting paid minimum wage um uh-huh. But it's interesting when he talks about parl- parliamentaryism. But I think, I mean, but it, the, the the general aspiration, sorry to interrupt you. No, no, go ahead. I mean, the general aspiration that I think Jeremy Corbyn's getting at is something that really attracted me to uh, consider joining the Labour Party um, and trying to be part of that. This sense that, like, I mean, he, he was definitely that, well, the, the, the membership of the, the party grew um, a lot. Sure. Up to 600,000, something like that, mm. 550,000. Um very rapidly and a lot of new people were attracted into it um and i think a lot sort of attracted a lot of people to talk about it as a mass party as being like the biggest social democratic party in europe or what have you um but i was really taken back by the idea that it could be a mass party maybe in the form of like the german social democrats as was at the turn of the last century kind of thing or even how um i imagine socialist groups and other like labor working class groups uh in Britain operating, being very deeply rooted in community and um, being involved, like organising all sorts of different community activities, sort of like rooting themselves in something outside of just politics per se, but like actual social life kind of thing, like Im- embedding yourself and having a base in social life. Um, and I think that's pro- that's presumably the way that you build a kind of uh, a you build what well, class consciousness to a degree but a class consciousness which is willing to like 
actually imagine itself as opposed to another faction or another class kind of thing. Yeah. And in the 19th century, presumably quite a lot easier. Um, I don't. I mean, I don't know why. I don't know whether that's necessarily true. I just, I just sort of imagine that um, it was much easier to sort of like point out those lines and those divides, particularly mm. as people were excluded from so so many like social activities, and so um, socialist parties stepped in and provided like sports and like bicycle clubs and like choirs and yeah, all, all yeah. that, um, as well as like like education and reading groups and that kind of thing. Mm. One um, of the things that the state, at least uh, in America, specifically in California stopped like as soon as it could were the uh, communist schools because they were a huge success specifically uh-huh. in california in san francisco um the guy who like started a couple thomas mooney i think his name was was like thrown in prison framed and like thrown in prison and i think he just died in prison something like that don't quote me on that but i believe that's what <laughs> happened um but it's also like yeah i mean on a practical level like it's if you take your values seriously and you're not just in it to just be like some schmuck politician like if you really want to change people's lives yeah local of course you have to get involved locally and you can't just talk about like how can we get people to vote for us based on like the new hot button issue that everybody's talking about you know what i mean like on federal like national level Um, yeah i mean if you want yeah if you want to build long-lasting success you have to like build people's commitment and fidelity to a party or a movement and you have to give things without expecting anything in return kind of thing sure it can't be a we give this in the hopes that we win your vote next year or in five years or it's an interesting uh, an interesting something to be said i don't know what would be said but something to be said about centralization versus decentralization because it's like how much centralization puts people off you know what i mean because it's like obviously you want to know that there's someone or at least like i would want to know that there's someone like corbin who's at the middle kind of like trying to control everything but it's like in a perfect world if there were these like community labor party groups set up um you would feel much more of a sense of belonging presumably right to your local chapter mm-hmm. right as opposed to like whatever's going on in london mm-hmm. you know what i mean in westminster um so it's like I, I wonder how much of that puts people off versus like it's attractive to some people yeah, knowing yeah. that there's someone kind of trying to steer the ship because yeah, yeah. I, was, I mean I, I when i was reading the article this is a bit of an aside again but like when i was reading the article um, and came across this idea i was always working through my mind this idea of jeremy corbyn as like the person in communities meeting with people and like glad handing and like um, being charismatic in the very uncharismatic way that he's charismatic, kind of thing, like <laughs> yeah. actually caring about people. Sure, yeah. Um, yeah. It goes a long way. As opposed to like Jeremy Corbyn, the leader of the opposition kind of thing at the dispatch box in Parliament. And could you even like divide those roles up? And I was sort of imagining them as two figures who could be in separate positions, but really um, you need a whole load of those people um, advocating for a party mm. or a particular collection of ideas, mm. ideals and ideas in all of those places so it's not just like you need Jeremy Corbyn you need yeah exactly a great number of people who sort of yeah. fulfill something like that and it was interesting um, when he was talking about Brexit too how he bought up what Ian Lavery said at a um, uh, rally he said something like because you know it was the big like should we stay should we go whatever um, and he said that Lavery at that rally said I don't want to be in a Remain party I don't want to be in the Leave party I want to be in a socialist party it's like as soon as people know what that means and they're not just like, ah, socialism, you know, mm-hmm. as soon as like people understand that, like, I feel like that's something that you could say on a national level that would get people stoked once you had your community bases set up and people understood what that meant. Sure. Because it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah, we don't want Brussels to tell us what to do, but equally, we don't want Westminster to tell us what to do. Yeah. You know what I mean? Unless you live in Westminster, in which case, you know, good for you. <laughs> but um, I don't know. That that quote definitely stopped. Yeah, me. I mean, I, I mean, I, I, I've heard that yeah, I heard that point. I heard that, read that quote, mm. and um, it's quite heartened by it. 
as a, somebody who's already a committed socialist. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and also as somebody who was always very frustrated by um, uh, the Brexit debate and um, thought from very early on that basically all it had done is sort of separated people along a cleavage that the Labour Party couldn't operate with whilst having it still be in existence like they had to close up that cleavage in some way and yeah, as you say if 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 you yeah, know if, if socialism resonated on both sides of that divide then maybe a statement such as that could have sort of achieved that end but like i, I didn't really stop to question ask myself like yeah. is that really the best word or phrase or yeah. statement to use um i mean to us it's like i mean yeah, it, it, it's cool. it's jeremy corbyn quoting ian lavery in yeah. tribute, <laughs> yeah, like exactly. who knows what other things were said in that speech that were <laughs> perhaps more poignant that, or more salient to the audience that yeah. aren't as salient to the audience of Tribune. I don't know, but yeah, yeah you do re- regardless of the actual circumstances that actually happened that that on that day, uh, you do raise an important point. Yeah, um, and it's just just going sorry, just going back to the um, community organising. I mean, I'm going to say this without any evidence, um, <laughs> but from what I understand, in the small number of places where community organisers were actually in operation, they really did have quite a big impact, um, and there is data to, to sort of suggest that they did actually um, raise turnouts and um, impact campaigns and organisation on a sort of constituency level, which did have a sort of quantifiable outcome. Yeah, I think in 2019, I think it just took a long time to get going. So mm. I mean, at the, at the, about this time last year, I, I'm pretty sure I remember being at a CO, my local COP meeting, and they were there was discussion about like there is now funding for community organising, and we we do want the the party now does want to move in that direction or sort of push for that kind of thing. And um, but yeah, it was too little, too late, I suppose. If it mm. was going to have made a difference, but mm. as a, as a um, as a uh, token example of a sort of broader strategy. Obviously, it was something that never he never managed to reach fruition, and I mean, maybe the question is like, um, are the structures of the like were the structures of the Labour Party? Well, well, the the obstacle was the structures of the Labour Party and the way that the Labour Party and its history as um, embedded within its institutions quite a lot of sort of like conservatism, uh, how they have. Uh, how quite a lot of the running. Well, I mean, you saw it with the sort of the leaked report into the behaviour of. Uh, bureaucratic officials at the Labour Party, like clearly sure. they thought they their role was to be a conservative, stabilising function, regardless of um, the desires of both the leadership and the membership of of the Labour Party. A little bit like a civil service is sort of like the yeah. the permanent uh, executors of a state, regardless of like the changing exactly. political whims of the. Yeah, I wonder if we'll see that same thing later on when we talk about Bernie. Interesting, <laughs> strange. Um, yeah, this is, I'll read another quote, because I think this is another um, good one. It kind of just summarizes what we've been saying. But Corbyn says, It's easy to become completely bogged down in Westminster and see everything through the lens of whatever is happening uh, there at that moment. While the most politically involved and engaged people around the country do watch Parliament, most of, them, most of the public don't. They don't follow it at all. And they're not particularly interested in it, and they find that the language used and the style is fairly incomprehensible. You have to use Parliament as a way of making your case, putting your arguments forward, and challenging the government. But that's one opportunity because that's the one opportunity you have to do it. But you also need to take your politics outside. So I think, that, yeah, like the last bit, I think that's interesting. Him just basically saying parliament as just like a soapbox and a grandstand, like a bully pulpit almost, mm. I guess. Um, that's not particularly like a novel idea or anything, but it is interesting. It's also interesting going back and watching Corbyn and, you know, when he was leader of the Labour Party with that in mind. 
um, really attempting to like organize community around it to actually be the ones who are going to make some kind of change. But yeah, the I never really thought of him as like the bully pulpit kind of guy. It always kind of seemed like he was a little bit on the on the defensive. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I hear that phrase. I hear that phrase in relation to American politics quite a lot. Yeah. Something that's given attributed to uh, the president sure. by virtue of the nature of his position kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um does it does it imply specific power or sort of like a presumed power just because he has a platform? I think it? it's very much like it's almost it, I guess you can kind of use it anyway, but it's the way I've always thought of it is it's like potentially the president doesn't have the power that he's making himself seem to be and he's I just see. using it to like embarrass Congress and I embarrass see. everyone see, else, see, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um yeah, yeah. Which, I mean, I guess that works. So I suppose yeah, I mean I mean I guess um I guess there is a way in which either a collection of opposition MPs or the actual leadership of the opposition themselves could actually be productively disruptive to the operations of Parliament kind of thing. Yeah. Or like, yeah, if they'd have, I don't, I don't know what, what necessarily that would entail. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know. But it's also, I, mean, I suppose like, uh, I suppose like, I don't know whether there's, I don't, I don't know whether there's much capacity to filibuster in mm. the UK. It has happened in the past. I it's think. more so just, I call it heckling. Right? Okay. <laughs> <It's just> like... <laughs> Whatever it is that yeah. MPs do from the back benches. So, yeah. yeah. I don't know. Well, it, I mean, it's funny, though, because he says that, but then he also <laughs> he also goes in to talk about media bias a lot. Uh, there are a bunch of different quotes where he basically says, I think we have to recognize that media hostility towards the Labour Party and the Labour movement isn't going to go away. You have some very rich and powerful people who will continue to attack the Labour Party, whatever its policies are, because they just don't want it to exist at all. And then he basically goes in to say that social media is the new thing. And that's uh-huh, the way we're going to communicate with uh-huh, each other. Uh-huh. But it's like... You know, obviously you're going to need a bit more of a militant attitude towards the community organizing if your idea is like, well, we're going to use parliament to say what we want to say and to get our message out there and to argue with everybody. But it's like when Jeremy Corbyn was leader of the Labour Party, I remember BBC having images of him like as like in front of the Kremlin, you know what I mean? Like yeah, Photoshop images yeah, yeah, there with yeah. like a red star hat. Yeah, yeah. And then like when Rishi Sunak does the um, uh, furloughing and everything, they Photoshop him as Superman. You know I what did I mean? not know that. It's pretty classic. Okay. It's honestly pretty pretty funny. The one of Corbin is so funny. I mean, yeah, I have. I do know. I do know about that case. Yeah. yeah. I mean, given that it, Rishi Sunak was basically pushed into that position <laughs> by John McDonnell, like, yeah, like, yeah. It's it's thanks to the remnants of um, the Corbin the Corbin leadership of the Labour Party in its yeah. dying days in the early months of this year that we actually got yeah. what we what, what was gotten out of the Conservative Party was gotten by by the grace of yeah. Jeremy Corbyn and John McDonald. Kind of yeah. Um, yeah, but I mean, just the media hostility at all, it's like obvious, like Corbyn understands that that's not going to go away, yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. like, I don't maybe, maybe I mean, this yeah, is just a silly point, but it's like, who do you think is broadcasting what you're doing? You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, I mean, I, I, it sort of implies, I mean, it, it sort of implies that the only option is to engage every person on a personal level in their life, in their workplace, and there is no way to sort of jump to that point. Sure. Uh, through official broadcast or what have you. I mean, I saw, I saw, I say um, it's a long road and not necessarily an entirely hopeless one. Um, but yeah, it's interesting to to say that um, the to say that um, nobody watches Parliament kind of thing or nobody cares about Westminster politics. But Westminster politics definitely sets the agenda for broadcast media. And everybody. And the broadcast take... media will then spin it in such a way that it's palatable to exactly. Um, well, to the general public, and then the general yeah. public would absorb what they're told in the way that it's spun. I mean, I, I don't mean to be quite so like reductive that they, sure. they they do what they're told kind of thing, but but yeah. um, but it just seems that does seem to be what happened, right? Like there was this sort of like warping effect through the media, 
Um, well, nobody's watching uncut like hours of Parliament. Yeah, I mean, maybe can... nobody watches BBC Parliament the same <laughs> exactly. way that nobody watches uh, C-SPAN. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Okay. So I think the main the main takeaway from that article was Corbyn really uh, uh, leaning on the PLP to be like, thanks a lot, guys. Yeah. There's a point in it when he's very kind of like moralizing. He says something like, the, yeah, the PLP, oh, yeah. Certain, yeah, certain people are going to look back and question <laughs> what they've done, <laughs> yeah, why yeah. they've done what they've done. Deathbed confessions. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. you're like, I, yeah, I think they know what they did, and I think they, they were doing it deliberately. No, I mean, like, whether it's entirely naive moralising or whether it's just, like, not needing to make enemies where he doesn't need to make them kind of thing. Yeah. But, I mean, it is a little disappointing to hear him, hear him think like that, like. Yeah, coming back to that kind of like yeah. liberal versus exactly. some kind, some kind of more combative class. Yeah, how dare you? Nature sir. of yeah, I cannot yeah. believe you would do that to our poor British folk. Did you understand the last bit? I didn't. No, I don't know what that was meant to mean. Yeah, it was. It yeah, was. Yeah, go on. So, the, so Ronan Burton Shaw says, "Did you?" Because, because in some ways you could read it as a kind of like <laughs> Jeremy Corbyn's like taking some names. Like yeah, he's yeah, got I know. receipts. I know. Yeah. <laughs> but like, so, so Ronan Burton Shaw says, "Did you enjoy the challenge?" And Corbyn says, "It was fun. Every minute of it." Also, before I continue, I w- was wondering if this was like an email exchange or if it was like he was actually there mm. talking to him and at, at certain points Corbin's like oh, you want me to go get my old flyers from the yeah. 1970 <laughs> referendum so I guess he was probably there yeah. and then uh, Burton Shaw says well I'm glad and Corbin says and I made notes of everybody's contribution at every shadow cabinet meeting <laughs> and Burton Shaw says alright and looking back on it now are there any out there who you think had not been borne out by history and Corbin says many and then the interview ends yeah, I, <laughs> it's like I don't really get what that means what that was meant to be. very very maybe we, yeah maybe we're just not just not intelligent enough to work it was like an inside joke between them or something they're Perhaps, like yeah you yeah. remember remember that one time you told me about that one shadow cabinet meeting um well that's Corbin it was kind of a bummer seeing Jeremy Corbin is the Labour Party member for, of Parliament for Islington North shame mm-hmm. sad mm-hmm. um but now we'll get into a much happier story, a much more successful story, if you will. I'm being sarcastic. Uh, the next article, uh, The Rise and Fall of Bernie Sanders. And this one's a little bit different. It's not a complete one-to-one because it's not an interview with um, Sanders. It's an interview with, like I said, with uh, Brianna Joy Gray, who's his old uh, press secretary. Dan, Dan and I were talking about this one a little bit before because I think where one kind of route of comparison is, I think, where... Uh, then you brought this up where Corbyn kind of blames the PLP for a lot of problems and it's, at least it comes across in that you know interview that he is like blaming them for quite a bit Brianna blames um, I'll just call her Brianna because we're on a first name basis she seems to blame the media a lot which fair enough fair enough um, but it's also like you know typical like yeah no kidding obviously they weren't going to help out obviously MSNBC and Fox and everybody wasn't going to be like Come on, Bernie, we're rooting for you, buddy. Like, no shit, that was going to happen. But it's still interesting. It's still interesting. And you also made the point, Dan, that it's like, well, she probably did that because she was the press secretary. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, she she would focus on that. Would it be her? Yeah. I mean, I guess in America, like, there is ostensibly this idea that you you have, what, like, um, three main, like, cable news, 24-hour news shows kind of thing. And to some extent, like... One is on the solid right, and two are sorts ostensibly. If you're of a, if you're minded toward um, the use that use of language, this use of language yeah. that I'm about to deploy, yeah. that kind of on the left. Yeah. Um, so so yeah, so maybe you you would reasonably have an expectation, perhaps that um, there might be some greater degree of balance. Um, 
than there was. Yeah. yeah. But again, that's just a sort of naive, like, pluralistic every view gets to be... Yeah. Gets, gets an equal sh- showing kind of thing. Yeah, right? also... But in like, reality, they, like, NBC or whatever, like... They know they knew they know their they know their position. <laughs> they know where their bread's buttered. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. This one left much more of a bad taste in my mouth. Not because not because of Rihanna Joy Gray or anything like that, but just because of the state of American politics versus the state of British politics. Obviously, both not great at the moment, but um, this really just I was just like, God damn. Um, one thing I guess to kind of start it off, she um, Connor Kilpatrick asked her about to compare 2016 versus 2020, the two campaigns that Bernie ran. And I'll just kind of quote her a bit at length here. She says, in many ways, 2016 was more successful. We won more states. The race was closer. It went longer. The opposition was openly disgusted. The Stop Bernie movement was less explicit. It was like they hadn't organized yet. It was less effective. It felt in some ways more hopeful looking at it from the outside. The main issue, one of the main issues, both then and now, is the lopsided media. And then she goes into talking about, like, The thing that really enabled Biden's victory this time around was the narrative about electability and the media's refusal to interrogate that at all, Um, which is interesting because it's like, I guess she's talking about on a practical level, which one was more successful 2016 or 2020. And to me, like, maybe it's just because we were talking about him again and he was back in the media and people were like, socialism. Mm -hmm. And, you know, again, in America, socialism is like FDR, mild social democracy. Um, But it felt like, at least on a cultural level, we'll see, but it seems like 2020 was much more uh, effective at uh, kind of stirring the pot and getting a lot more people interested. And, like, I think a lot more people openly saw now, wow, the Democratic Party really did everything they could to make sure that someone like Sanders wouldn't get the nomination. That's all kind of obvious. I'm not really making any, like, big, profound statements Mm -hmm. here. But, um, But no, I, I... I think you're right. I was similarly taken aback by that statement because she's right, right? Like on certain sort of objective measures, 2016 was a greater success. But I mean, like if winning isn't your ultimate aim, it's success kind of thing, then yeah. um, the, what you can reveal about your enemy is quite often quite useful. Yeah. Um, the experience that a lot of people have had of the Democratic Party and the lengths that, to which they will go kind of thing. Yeah, um, yeah. Quite significant. Yeah, and also the, 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 the idea that he was for a while the front runner i mean he was never the presumptive nominee or presumptive front runner or what have you, you in 2016, 2016 yeah. yeah in yeah. 20 in 2020 there really was this sense that um i mean maybe but yeah maybe yeah maybe maybe it's naivety actually and obviously he was never particularly close so i don't know i mean yeah i think it was fairly like if everybody had stayed in the race this time around I think he probably would have gotten it, mm-hmm. but I think that mm-hmm. the kind of like coordinated push to be like, okay, we're going to go with Joe Biden. Interesting too, because she goes into kind of like talking about, wow, we really thought we were going to be way more worried about Elizabeth Warren. We were like, oh my God, she's the one we got to beat because she was the one who was pushed the furthest left by Bernie while still being the like kind of like comfortable liberal candidate, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and she basically says that when everybody decided, everybody, I think we know who decided, but when we decided that no, the nominee is going to be Biden, everybody drop out today. Right. So we can finally like get Bernie out of the race. Um, it was kind of like, oh, really? Biden? Him? <laughs> because not only had he not done super well in the States before that, but it was also just like, well, yeah, I'm not going to get but into she has that. A, she, has a really, like, she has a good, a really interesting explanation of why yeah. he was the one that they were Exactly. For. Yeah. And she says that it's like we were all stunned because it's like he was the one who was not pushed left at all by Bernie. Uh-huh. And so uh-huh. like when everyone kind of had their like Medicare for all who want it or like, you know, get a Pell Grant. And maybe you can, you know, get uh, good health care or something like that, <laughs> like tax credits. Biden was just like, no, you're not getting that at all. And so it was kind of like this whole even if you're kind of like a, you know, lefty liberal, it's like 
those people must have for the second where they were like, oh, yeah, we have to vote blue no matter who get Trump out of office. You know, those people were probably like, oh, OK, we're going to go with Biden. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it's equally like Kamala Harris, presumptive if Biden wins president uh, not too long after that. Also not the, you know, most closest to uh, burning. You know what I mean? On the like kind of like left, right, arbitrary kind of scale. So it's interesting. It was interesting hearing her talk about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Shame. Real shame. She also she also kind of goes into, again, going back to that whole yeah, idea. Sorry, it's a, I suppose it's an interesting point, isn't it, that you, in that instance, you can't even um, sort of foist progressive policies onto non-progressive candidates kind of thing. Yeah. Like the Democrats aren't even willing to play that game. Uh, not e- even tokenistically. They're, yeah. They're not willing to, yes. to do it kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was I was listening to an interview with Brianna Joy Joy Joy. Yeah, Joy. Yeah. I always want to say Grey Joy. Grey Joy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, on um, what podcast was it? Pod Damn America. Uh, I was listening to today. Uh, <laughs> You're gonna say Pod Save America. Pod Save America. Like, no. Oh, okay, cool, cool. Dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, maybe maybe this is the last episode. Yeah. And what was she saying? Apparently, is it Ice Cube that's made some list for some list of demands? Um, maybe. maybe maybe this will all get cut I'll check it all out and we'll decide um, put, some, put forward some list of demands um, for black people in America what they would sure. want from a president kind of thing and um, he got basically no traction from Biden at all and then some amount of sort of pandering from Donald Trump and I think I think <laughs> even, like the Republicans and Trump are at least willing to pretend that they will yeah. sort of like consider some of these requests kind of thing democrats not even willing to do that (laughs) yeah well there's this she goes into it because there's this weird and there still is this narrative of like you know black people love biden he's just great he's the best and i think that's pretty damning for bernie's campaign too right because it's like admittedly bernie did not do great amongst uh black communities kind of specifically in the south uh but where is it she says something about that here she talks about latino voters she talks about black voters she says um if Biden wants all those people, he should consider why Latino voters liked Bernie Sanders. The Democrat establishment should consider that there are people in this world who are not voting for policy reasons, or who are, I'm sorry, who are voting for policy reasons, in addition to voting for someone that they think can be trusted because he has fought for their community. Um, then she moves on to say, there's a history, there's also a history of black radicalism. Out of love to have seen a campaign in which we are empowered to say that there can be no racial equality under unfettered capitalism. The tensions between the black community and the Democratic Party are already there, but you've got to talk about it the right way. You've got to say, they trot you out every four years, you hold the line, and they call you the firewall. What are you getting in return? And I mean, the opposite of that is Biden's strategy, right? Which is just don't talk about it at all when you do mention corn pop or whatever. <laughs> and it's like, you just expect, that, you know, everybody to come out and vote for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I think, I think, but I mean, that is kind of one of the uh, uh, criticisms of Sanders' campaign, right? Is that, I mean, Latino voters, especially in Nevada, kind of carried him to victory there. Um, that's one thing. There's always, center-right people and liberals always kind of like to use this quote that I think Reagan said a long time ago, which is so disgusting. He said something along the lines of, like, uh, Latino voters, um, because they're so Catholic, they're Republicans in disguise or something like that, hmm. which is like, okay, he said that, like, 40, 50 years ago, and people still trot that quote out, and it's like, yeah, I get very frustrated because it's still blatantly not true. Latino voters are like some of the most progressive voters in the entire country, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. It frustrates me. But getting back to Bernie, uh, is interesting to hear someone from the Bernie campaign talk about 
his strategy with black voters, kind of like lack of one. And kind of what would be interesting to go into meetings where she's kind of like presumably saying that to Bernie, being like, you have to say this. Mm -hmm. And I wonder why he didn't want to just come out and say, you know, what she said. They tried you out every four years and they expect you to vote for him. I remember that that was that was the the 2020 Bernie campaign in a nutshell was his unwillingness to attack the Democratic Party or the, or the mainstream of the Democratic Party or uh, attack the way that the Democrats have operated. Um, he was unwilling to attack anybody's. I mean, nobody wanted to attack um, Joe Biden's record directly. Mm. Um, except for whoever it was, Julian Castro. Who yeah, didn't, yeah. Didn't, Very odd. Yeah, yeah, was, I mean, wasn't um, was not rewarded <laughs> to do, for not. doing so. Yeah. Um, and she's she's very critical in the article of the whole just the general sort of like softly softly nicely nicely approach that uh, that Bernie took, um, and again it's the same kind of thing, right? It's um, can you can you pass yourself off as being not so bad, being inside the tent, being sort of friendly to the mainstream, not a massive threat, and it does seem like they see through it straight away. Yeah, they, yeah. Like, why? Why would you? You? You think that you think you have to do only a, a sort of small amount of sort of like sanding off some edges, and suddenly you'll be taken seriously by um, the political establishment, kind of thing. Yeah. Obviously, it didn't happen. Obviously, it didn't um, happen. And it, yeah, it seems like it was a large mistake. Particularly, particularly she, she makes the case that like um, a certain proportion of voters think that Biden is for Medicare for all kind of thing. Yeah, nobody exactly. Nobody ever, like... Exactly. And they think set he's on straight, social security. Kind of yeah, 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 yeah. You know? And nobody really, like, brought up anybody's record. Yeah. And nobody was willing to set the record straight. I mean, the person to do that was Sanders. But yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because she kind of does get into kind of admitting that it's like that... The campaign was preaching to the choir a little bit, right? And it's, that's, it's so typical of Democrats, of any Democrat, to, like recently their whole strategy of like let's just get the people the white people in the suburbs to vote for us that'll be enough to defeat the same people who always come out and vote for the republican right and um at times it's worked a lot of the times it has not worked because it's just like okay either those people aren't going to be excited about you like they're kind of trying to do the same thing republicans have right which is just a base that always votes for the r on the ballot they just always want someone who's going to vote for the d on the Mm -hmm. ballot instead of like actually going out there and getting people who are like disaffected by voting or just not voting at all or who like the people who actually need help you know um so she says i think it was a mistake to give up on older voters i think it was a mistake for us not to target older voters she repeats that i guess um i felt like our advertising on twitter was preaching to the choir bernie had a platform specifically for older voters he had social security expansion and protection he had home health care he had medicare for all and yeah, you do get the feeling that Bernie kind of fell prey to the same general democratic idea of like, we did pretty good in 2016. If we can just keep getting these people, like whether it's like some Latino voters in the Western states and like young people to come out, we should be good. And yeah, I mean, I suppose, I suppose, yeah, that's the 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 other the other. Um, if you're if if it's not if if his sort of like uh, softer, friendlier approach was not designed for the mainstream of the Democratic Party those people in the party it was also it was also designed to try and like woo these people who might other be otherwise be put off kind of thing uh, by a more combative socialist i mean i mean yeah. he, he never managed to shake off the 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 perception of him as being sort of like gruff and mean and combative and like yeah, whatever. yeah. um but yeah, yeah, yeah. but it, it, equally so it seems to be yeah that's yeah so you make an interesting point that basically what he's done is sort of adopted 
a actually a, quite a mainstream democratic campaigning yeah. approach kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, whether or not we can call, which, yeah, we can call, you know, Bernie a social democrat or something like that. I think our version of socialism is probably pretty different from Bernie's. So I think it's safe to call him like a social democrat. Um, It's interesting. We were just saying this before we started recording. It's like, that's the line that you have to toe if you're going to run as a social democrat, right? And I mean, obviously, FDR did it pretty well, but those were extenuating circumstances. You have to toe the line of accepting everything as it is, accepting all of these power structures, social structures, social relations, accept it all how it is, mm-hmm. but then just be like, come on, guys, why won't you help me change it? Why can't we get like these things done that are vital? Why can't we change these things that are vital to capitalism continuing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting because... Do you even get the sense that, that Sanders was ever planning to... What, what would have been his policies that were actually a threat to like the continuation of capitalism? Kind of well, I, I mean, mean I in America spot, versus like, here, it's different, right? Yeah, yeah, but I mean, I mean yeah, yeah. I mean, every, I guess everything is seen as a threat. Exactly. I mean, you could, uh, exactly. You, yeah. I mean, Medicare Amazon for all is a, is a huge like, threat to yeah, the medical yeah, industry yeah, 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 in America, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, the amount of money that's made off of you know people like me, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, just as a small example for people who don't understand how bad healthcare is in America, which people do not understand out here. Uh, right before I came out here, my dad had lost our dental coverage from his union because he wasn't getting enough hours because of like how horrible work has been. He's a film industry. And so he was able to keep health insurance, but he lost dental insurance because dental insurance isn't part of health insurance. <clears throat> and I had three cavities and it cost me $1,300 to get fixed, which is insane. Fuck. And it's like I had saved up for basically like a summer before I came out here. And I was just like, okay, there we go. There goes that money. I mean, and it's, the same is true of the student loans company or yeah, the exactly. company um, exactly. system in general. Kind yeah. of thing. Like, which I mean, obviously, if Bernie like was debting be- people and then having sort of them, yeah. have them be in debt bondage for like exactly. 30, 40 years. Kind yeah. Of thing. yeah, exactly. And a massive, I mean, massive money spinner. Kind of yeah. Thing. And I mean, that's the thing, though. It's like so obvious that if Sanders was president, this wouldn't change. None of these things would change. And I mean, I think Sanders admits that, right? He's like, yeah, we know that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. But it's important to A, have these conversations on a national level, and B, um, try, you know, because who knows what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's very interesting. You, you raised an interesting point just about comparing Britain to the United States again, the political possibilities of the two political systems kind of thing. Like, if you can sort of like capture a majority in parliament, you can pretty much do whatever you want kind of thing. Um mm it sort of raises the question that has been raised by others like is trying to get the seat the president the seat to get a socialist or a social democrat or whatever yeah get somebody on nominally on the left elected as president is that really the best course of action like what yeah. what power do they actually have to upturn upturn that system from the top kind of thing well i mean it, and he i think he always thought of himself as something well he what i mean it had a very laudable aim similar to jeremy corbyn's in some respects of like leading a movement of social movements sure. kind of thing and just his um, career or sort of organizer in chief was the sort of like yeah, yeah but i mean that's that the thing given to him chosen think, by him yeah and i think that's what left such a bad taste in my mouth about this article about sanders is it's like corbyn i think to a certain extent obviously i'm not stoked that corbynism was defeated but it's like to a certain extent i think the establishment kind of saw that what corbyn was doing could have worked worked and you know defined work however you want but like it could have gotten something done and it could have been a bit of a threat and so when he was defeated on like hey guys maybe we organize our communities and it was just shut down based on that well not shut down it's different than what happened to sanders right but it's like if safe bernie was to be elected president there's no community organizing at really any level in america Mm -hmm. right politically 
It's like the Democratic Party is just the PLP, basically, to make that connection, mm. you know. And to kind of bring it back to last week's episode, I thought I'd do this, watch this. Uh, Sanders still completely has a very much a liberal view of conflict, right? Mm-hmm. As as uh, attenuating, the, or not attenuating, you know, mediating between these circumstances, mm-hmm. these horrible, these horrible uh, polar opposites, right? Working class, ruling class, whatever you want to call it. Um, it's like, dude... The la- complete lack of militancy, and this this next one is like this is kind of like a typical uh, um, slight that's thrown against Sanders. It's just the complete lack of internationalism. It was still such a national movement. It was mm-hmm. still very much like, yeah, USA, baby, we are the best. Let's make ourselves the best, like an FDR, like you know, we're gonna win the war and we're gonna make everything better for our boys at home, you know. And it's just like, to a certain extent, without the community organizing, without the militancy, without like. Obviously, Sanders has trade union ties and stuff like that, but trade unions, I think, are, you know, different out here than they are mm-hmm. in America. Um, not much was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And even I mean, like, somewhat, I mean, like, and you have to look at Nevada to see that the mainstream of the culinary mm-hmm. union there was opposed to him. Exactly. Um, obviously, the membership very much in favor of um, Sanders. But, yeah. Or yeah. it would, it would <sighs> seem, I don't know. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, yeah. So it was interesting. I mean, Brianna Joy Gray, uh, huge props, awesome, totally understands, uh, uh, you know, politics in America on a much better level uh, than your average schmuck. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this one more quote, she says, um, uh, I don't mean to be critical of Bernie because all he has done, I will never do. And I have an enormous amount of respect for him, but I hoped there would be more of a conversation. Certainly before the campaign was announced, there was time for us to think about through some of these issues. She's kind of relating like the ideas of like black voters and Latino voters. We needed to talk more to regular people and not assume that we know how they think or will vote based on superficial demographic qualities. Um, and then she moves on a little bit later to say there's been a devaluing of the vote. And um, she basically says that, uh, I'll, I'll just read this at length. She says, I'm seeing people in the streets putting their bodies on the line and how effective that is. I'm inspired by this activism. And at the same time, I'm thinking to myself, if they made a demand of Biden, why should he listen? He has, throughout his entire campaign, been utterly indifferent. He didn't shift left. Other candidates tried to be for Medicare for all who want it in these bureaucratic college debt forgiveness plans. He didn't do any of that and was rewarded for it. And now we have to vote blue no matter who. And so I don't mean this in a glib way, but if I were his advisor and didn't have my politics, why would I advise him to listen? Why would I tell him to bunk the interest, bunk the interest of his donors in order to adhere to anything that's being asked of him, whether it's any kind of police reform, much less of defunding the police, Medicare for all, or generally supporting monthly two thousand a month coronavirus payments? Um, yeah, brutal. <laughs> pretty, pretty damning of the entire Democratic establishment, uh, and uh, it's a bummer. Really, really would have been interesting if kind of like she had her way in a lot of these. Uh, well, I mean, I guess if she had her way, potentially in the best possible world um more people would have come out to vote for sanders because they felt like things would have changed let's just say he gets elected uh i don't again i don't really know without the organization of the mm-hmm. party i don't really know anything there was another it's an interesting quote in that jeremy corbyn to compare mm. to um sanders there's a point when i don't know whether corbyn declares himself revolutionary in the fashion that we were talking about last week yeah but he certainly draws a distinction between like what you do and what your ultimate aspirations are. He's, he's kind of justifying his um, his engagement with social reform, but also like declaring his like um, 
vision for a socialist transformation or that yeah. sort of being something in the back of his mind kind of thing yeah. in his own particular way or at least that's what I read into it kind of thing um, sure. whether you ever get much of that sentiment from Sanders yeah well I think I think Corbyn well I think Bernie had a lot more trust in the party in his party than mm-hmm. Corbyn did mm-hmm. I think Corbyn knew he, I mean he knows the way things work yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it, it was, I mean, it's I, interesting that you say that because it really it, coming back to that first answer to the Jeremy Corbyn question yeah. like we sort of identified Jeremy Corbyn is suspicious of of the Labour Party, essentially, kind of thing. Mm. Or maybe that's why he doesn't give an affirmative answer to that to the charge that, mm. or uh, it doesn't give an affirmative answer either way to the charge that the, the Labour Party might not be the best route to achieving yeah. socialism, kind of thing. Yeah, it made me th- it made me think comparing these two just about like is there just a complete inability because of the way the American political system is set up for someone like Corbyn to. Um, be produced in America. Maybe that's just because the country is, you know, huge, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, it's so there's so much more mm-hmm. to get into in I terms mean, of so, just like imperialism and the way that America sure. works. And, yeah, I mean that that's that. But Jeremy Corbyn was had so much more to say about imperialism than Sanders, absolutely. sort of just because of the, the the personal politics of the people involved, kind of thing. Like um, that was always his sort of like area of expertise. The thing he was most interested in kind of thing people quite often cast him as a left foreign minister not a left a prime minister yeah um, and thought that would be a much better role for him kind of thing i mean in in terms of like the systems producing the two in america producing a a, San, a, um, a corbyn, corbyn. Mm. i feel like sanders and corbyn are quite similar in some respects as being like True. The, in the main respect that they were compared was that they were sort of like people who'd been in politics for a really long time but on its fringes and were suddenly like cast into the centre kind of thing um, Sanders in a much more sort of self-selecting way and Corbyn very much more reluctantly yeah. uh, thrust into that position kind of thing yeah um, yeah. but yeah what it would take to promote a politics more similar to Corbynism yeah um, well the one thing the one, if I had to take one takeaway from both of these it's there's just too much trust and obviously I mean we were just saying that like you know Corbyn doesn't have the trust that anybody else has but it's like without the kind of militancy of like you know that social democrats lack not much is going to change because you're just going to run to the brick wall again you're going to run into you know the photoshop of corbin as the you know in front of the kremlin or you're going to run into like bernie sanders spooky socialism and the party just you know crushing him at every turn right Mm -hmm. and and again like without the kind of like lower level community organizing and without the kind of like no we need to get rid of this entire yeah, system yeah yeah, yeah, I, don't, I, don't yeah I mean maybe the, the criticism you can make of both of them was they both tried to sort of jump at but the caught ahead of the horse or something or yeah like didn't build the foundations necessary necessary in a society to um then launch a movement that was had a combative attitude toward the status quo now maybe neither of them. Maybe they both underestimated quite how combative they were being. I think Sanders perhaps more so, or at least the Sanders campaign or the general tenor of the Sanders campaign was a little bit um, less aware of what of a threat they posed, kind of thing. But I don't know. Like maybe maybe by running for president, you do you do coalesce a movement, kind of thing. Like there is a there is a, a political constituency and a generation in America now who. I don't know what, what attachment they have to the word socialism, but they yeah. do stand in a particular relationship to the Democratic Party, one which is potentially sceptical. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. 
as uh, yeah as an as an activity with positive outcomes it may have had some maybe you're just clutching at straws there if that's all you want to hold on to kind of thing but yeah I was but say. i think but i think i i don't i don't want to, to like to totally dismiss the idea that you could um launch a social movement by launching a campaign for president or yeah nurture a social movement by running for president um perhaps not a ludicrous proposition mm. but then again maybe you, maybe you should start with the, the social base and work your way up kind of thing um i mean the 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 the, the, the sort of socialist or yeah, the socialist caveat to put on top of that would have been, would be that like neither of these, more so Corbyn in the sense that the Labour Party has a connection to trade unionism, but neither of them really try to organise the social base which matters if you want to transform society, which is like how that society actually sort of produces itself. And, right, class consciousness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, in a in a sort of like in a workplace setting or yeah, some such kind of thing. Yeah. Here's a question for you. In an alternative, uh, alternate history, where uh, uh, the Brexit Favorite debate doesn't happen, <laughs> yeah, where the Brexit debate doesn't happen, nobody talks about it, nobody cares. Uh, what do you, what do you see Corbynism doing, without having to deal with that? Um, do you see it as growing? I don't know. I mean, we would have we would have we would have had five years of Jeremy Corbyn at the dispatch box in Parliament with. David Cameron. <laughs> now we've already said that we've already said that um, people don't pay attention to Parliament, perhaps, and it was looking bleak to begin with in twenty fifteen. End of twenty fifteen into 2016, um, part part partly because of the the activities of the Parliamentary Labour Party and other other actors. others other actors within the Labour Party kind of thing. It wasn't. It was not looking very good, um, but at least we ha- at least there was a significant period of time. In which to build up to that, and the question would be that how 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 badly damaged would the conservative reputation be by austerity, and how um, how populist or popular a case could the Labour Party have made for an anti-austerity agenda? Mm-hmm. I don't know what other events would have happened in the meantime. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like that the 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 Brexit debacle kind of like presented quite a lot of opportunities. Because I, I mean, I always, I always yeah. saw that there were quite a lot of opportunities there, kind of thing. Like I always thought, okay, that, I mean, like here are some events to navigate, kind of thing. And we don't know what the alternate events to navigate would have been. <laughs> um, that it gave us Theresa May. That it gave us yeah. the twenty seventeen election. I forgot about Theresa May. <laughs> what the hell? Oh my god. Um, I, you know, part of me really just would. So I mean, but, so to... I guess the, if you're asking the question, like, could could the Labour Party have won in twenty twenty? I mean, I, I, who knows? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then I guess there's the question of like, what would the result of winning actually have been? Yeah. And what what could they meaningfully have achieved? But that's a different question, isn't it? Yeah. Part of me really would have just wanted to have seen Corbyn just get up during the Brexit thing and just say, "Yeah, that you sucks, dude. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It sucks." Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I wonder yeah, yeah. what that would have done. I mean, well, I mean, I think like it's been said by others, but like Jeremy Corbyn's kind of like lukewarm opinion on the Labour on. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. I mean, you're not wrong. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what we've already had to say, isn't it? Uh, Lukewarm position toward the European Union kind of reflected the mood of the British people. Like, before they were were asked to consider, Mm. before the question was put to them, stay or leave. Yeah. But, I mean, I I sort of assume a great many people weren't really seeing it in that paradigm. I think he famously, like, gave it a 7 out of 10 or something. (laughs) Uh, when he was asked that's awesome which is like which is probably yeah. how most people would have gone yeah. I mean most people go seven on everything don't they yeah, if they're yeah, asked a question such as that but um, 
but yeah, it would have been much more interesting for him to lead a kind of like if he. I mean, like if it had been a more like re- remain and reform approach that had been taken. Yeah. Um, or I don't know whether you're suggesting he could have come out and have been pro leaving the European Union. Who knows? You know, he wanted to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, he does make the case that um, he'd seen what an error it was in Scotland to let the yeah true. to let the remain to what's it called yes or no the, to the no yeah. to independence campaign Better be together. be a joint campaign yeah um, and took the decision to sort of like lead his own yeah re- campaign to remain in the European Union but then and he was anyway yeah. but like I don't know like he was criticised for not doing enough even though it would seem that he worked incredibly hard on that campaign so yeah 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 well yeah but he was always going to be criticised I mean I, yeah I guess I guess did Brexit give more more opportunities than it took away well I mean it gave something for the opponents of Jeremy Corbyn to coalesce around that allowed them to sustain themselves it gave them somewhere to hide within the inside of the uh, what were they called anti-Brexit campaign oh yeah 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 would they would they have withered um, it, it, within enough time for the Labour Party to have changed the agenda sufficiently to win an election in 2017 yeah. mm-hmm. well people out here even like liberals are like when you bring up a European identity, like I'm, when I first got here, I remember someone being like, oh, so what do you think of it so far? And I was like, it rocks. I've never been to Europe before I came out here. And someone's just like, you're not in Europe, mate. What are you talking about? <laughs> and it's like even my grandma who's Australian, you know, a couple generations of Australians, mm-hmm. right? She Even she would be like, well, there are eight continents, actually. And one of them is the British Isles. <laughs> <laughs> That's like, quite a good joke. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't joking. Um, oh, really? Okay. Um, I would just like to read, if I might, because this was all from Tribune. Tribune recently posted uh, an Anurian Bevan quote, and I would just like to read it because all of this discussion of British politics. I think I saw this. All of this discussion of British politics. This kind of sums a lot of it up. He said, No amount of cajolery and no attempts at ethical or social seduction can eradicate from my heart a deep, burning hatred for the Tory party. So far as I'm concerned, they're lower than vermin. They condemn millions of first-class people to semi-starvation. So we've basically just been hassling the Labour Party. We've been hassling the Democrats. <laughs> oh, I see. Okay. But this, I would just I would just like to say the Tories, man. <laughs> oh God, there's not, a, there's not, there's not a level in hell. Um, I don't know. I don't know. What, what else can we say? What else can we say to compare the two? Contrast the two. It's, it's sucks. I mean, like, yeah, I guess I don't know whether you must. you have any reflections on. Uh... You know what's what a better outcome would have been in the United States? Like, no, I don't at okay. all. <laughs> go, 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 go. <laughs> I have no idea. But um, oh fuck, what was I going to say? Um, we we were having a conversation recently about how interesting it is that like so many communists and socialists and like leftists in America, everybody, everybody left of like I don't know someone's center left got on board with Sanders. Yeah, yeah, and I think anarchists uh, some, got on board. Yeah, some, uh, something very similar happened. Here with the Labour Party, like yeah. the number of people who were, would have previously declared themselves as anarchists. Or, yeah, yeah. Or, uh, yeah, yeah. Do you anti-parliamentary know socialists. Like <laughs> but I mean... Left communists. Yeah, well, I um, mean, it's like, it, what, what was their... Yeah, yeah, it's, I, like, it's, 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 it's interesting, happen? isn't it? Like, it's funny, isn't it? Like, you can, you can... What does it say? You can only be sort of belligerently combative mm. for so long mm. before you sort of relent into hope. <laughs> hope exactly hope and just like a little crumb a little crumb of like uh i don't even know what because i don't know so so much of my hatred is just reserved for american imperialism and foreign policy and it's like sanders didn't give us much there mm-hmm. you know what i mean mm-hmm. presumably 
you wouldn't have been as let's reinvade Libya to get the oil back, you know, as say, uh, who is that guy in the Democratic Party? Obama was, but who knows at the end of the day. And it's like, it, I think it's just, it's, it was quaint. Yeah. And hopeful. I mean, yeah, I mean, if to the, see that happen, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, if there, yeah, if there is a, um, if there is a takeaway from, I mean, those collection of articles, that's the, that's what Tribune are going after, right? But yeah. if, if there is something, some way in which to tie together all of our summary of this, it is to, raise that observation that you make that like the left took a very institutional turn mm. um and in some ways like an organizational one as well like it 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 thought it could collect itself into a big organization mm. um yeah. maybe that a more interesting outcome that comes away from this actually than um either the question of involving yourself in a mainstream political party in either of the respective countries mm. where you yeah. have two but still I think I think it's I will say just to go for you said I think it's kind of funny that like after Sanders lost everyone was like oh fuck what do we do now my god just reaching for like any positives right yeah, yeah, yeah. and everyone was like well he had a pretty big mailing list maybe we can use that <laughs> it's just like maybe we can use that to foment revolution yeah, in the United what, States. yeah what 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 yeah let's write a pamphlet <laughs> yeah exactly maybe we can send them a, hey, a, I love a, good a mail newsletter newsletter I don't know but yeah like yeah yeah, yeah. It, it, it's it's yeah, is the outcome is the interesting outcome that we're now willing to think about institution. Yeah, maybe not mainstream, maybe not one which is willing to. No, I not even. I don't mean institution. I mean organization. Sure. Like, um, what kind of organizations do we want? And how I do think, we how do we feel about our recent experience? Yeah, I think speaking that, for the left in general. Yeah. Or yeah, speaking for the left. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think that it it kicks ass to really see, you know, you can gatekeep as much as you want on the left. You can have all of your theory about, like, uh, actually, uh, this is the correct way to do it, and this is, oh, you're completely overlooking this. But it's like, in the real world, goddamn, where we get a crumb of hope, or a crumb of, like, uh, maybe Bernie Sanders will be anti-fascist icon, you know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> like, God, people just take it. Cause yeah. Man, you need it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's an interesting notion that I hadn't considered, but it's yeah. a nice place to... Yeah, yeah. So, okay, Final so, first. a decade on the left, Tribune. Crumb, a crumb of hope. Uh, a, tr- a, tr- a decade on the left... Uh, can't see what I'm doing, Dan. I'm uh, giving it a thumbs down. Decade on the left. Oh, right. okay. You mean the last decade in general? The last decade, not just not that collection of essays. And 2010 from just, 20 yeah, to the, the general, the general. What, what are we calling them? The teens. Nowhere to go but up. Um, yeah. Thank you, yeah, Bolivia. Yeah. Again, my dad was like freaking out the other day <laughs> because he just read a book that hopefully way down the line we'll talk about. But um, it, let's give. Oh, him this a is the book. This is the book. This is the book. We'll get there. Um, but it gave him a bit of a paradigm shift. That's all I'll say. Nice. And nice. Um, third eye just, open. There's third eye <laughs> wide open. And he was just like, I just don't know. There's no hope. I just don't know what to do. And I told him about Bolivia and the elections, and he was like, Oh, good. Yeah. So there you go. Nice. Well, I guess that's that, Ed. If you have any closing (laughs) thoughts, this is we're literally recording our third episode and we don't have any of them up yet. So (laughs) hopefully they'll be up soon. I don't know. We got a Twitter. Um, You'll hear about that uh, later on. Did we ever introduce this podcast? You've been listening to Auxiliary Statements. (laughs) I'm I'm Jack. Yeah, I mean, I don't, yeah. th- I don't think it matters. Yeah, I mean, you're, you know what you're listening God, to. Right. I assume, unless you're, true. unless you, unless you're like, uh, your podcast feed is just slipped into the next podcast. But if you have, if that has accidentally happened, you've accidentally listened to what an hour of this show. <laughs> Well done. Well done. Well, I like to listen you. to my podcast on Blue Mat. Random. <laughs> random podcast. Anyway, this is Auxiliary Statements. I'm Jack. Dan. Um, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. We'll see you next time.
The music you heard this episode was Music to Kill Bad People 2 by King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. You can check out this song and more on their Bandcamp at kinggizzard.bandcamp.com. If you like this episode, be sure and follow us up at Ox Statements on Twitter. That's A-U-X Statements on Twitter.com. And be sure and tune in next episode for more comedy discussion. Till next time.